Good evening. Every year on the second Sunday of Lent, we do hear this gospel story of the transfiguration. It's a story that speaks of the brilliant light of Christ shining on all gathered, but juxtaposed with the dark cloud of God, which casts shadows and frightens. I think we could all find it easy to associate the divine with light, the light of Christ, the light of the world. But with darkness, truth be told, we would love it if our lives were just filled with an abundance of light. But we all have our share of darkness as well. And God is in both. Megan McKenna is a theologian and storyteller and author of some 40 books. And this past week, she released her latest book, called The Poor Save Us. It gives readers vignettes of her life as it relates to her personal encounter with the poor around the world. So I invite you to listen to the story that she tells in this book. My friend was a photographer who traveled working for NGOs, non-governmental organizations, covering places around the world, usually in disaster areas where the organizations would respond In the early 1980s, he was sent to Ecuador. In the years prior to his trip, Ecuador seemed to be on a continuing run of disasters, mostly man-made ones that aggravated other events. First, there was an economic collapse forcing the government to levy taxes on heating and cooking oil and medicines. Almost immediately, a cholera epidemic hit sections of the country. Drought followed, the coffee crop failed, and then the rains came but too late. The torrential rains resulted in widespread massive flooding and landslides sweeping down the mountains and taking whole villages in their swath. That's when he arrived in an out-of-way village utterly destroyed. With camera gear in hand, he surveyed the area and the extent of damage geographically in regard to water, food, and medical survival. It was hot and devastation reigned. The ground was a sea of mud, drying fast, caked thick on everything. All the vegetation was gone. A few straggly bushes were bent low. No trees remained. The adobe houses were in various stages of disintegration, mostly collapsed. The scene was one of the worst he'd ever witnessed. The food trucks had finally arrived some two or three days after the initial walls of water mud and debris had torn into town. Tents, sleeping bags, water, and emergency teams were set up. He looked around for someone to photograph to make the centerpiece of how he would try to personalize the general destruction. Everyone seemed dazed, wandering about in shock. They were streaked and caked with mud and clothes torn by the force of the landslides. And then he saw her. She was young, maybe 10 or 11. Her face was thickly coated with dry gray mud. Her eyes were darting around. Her hair caked and ratted, clothes torn, no shoes. She was on a very long line that snaked around what was left of the unpaved road behind the food truck where they were sorting and divvying up the rice and the beans and tortillas, flowers and bananas. There was something about her. He noticed she kept watching the line inch forward 
toward the food, but her eyes kept returning to the side of the road a bit of the ways away. He followed her gaze, getting closer to her as unobtrusively as he could. She was watching a small clump of three children, younger than herself, a boy about eight, another boy a few years younger, and a tiny girl no more than two or three. They all looked as she did, forlorn, lost, shoeless, and layered in dried mud. They were protectively huddled together under what had been a bush just a bit taller than they were. No leaves, no real shade from the rising heat, but a piece of tin propped up beside them. She would nod to them, mouth unspoken words, and then turn and move toward the truck. No one else existed except them and her in their small world. A couple of hours went by and my friend continued to watch the girl realize the truck was running out of supplies. Less and less was being apportioned and given to each person and yet the line stretched out. What would happen when she got there? He moved in and took a few pictures from a relatively safe distance, setting up the scene with her, began to see everything from her vantage point as well as his own long distance one. Then she reached the truck's flatbed at long last. She held out her hands to the people above her who were doling out the food, and she was handed all that they had left, one small banana. He watched her as she took the banana carefully and thanked them and bowed and moved very quickly back to her little waiting group. He ran to keep up with her, trying to get an angle with the right light, and she stopped and the four of them stood in a small circle together. She said something, he looked, and gawking while they crossed themselves carefully as they said grace. She broke the banana into three pieces, the largest one for the smallest girl, and then two almost equal ones for the boys. And they slowly ate, taking tiny bites out of the pieces of banana and chewing chewing slowly while she just simply sucked on the banana peel. He was stunned at what he was seeing. But suddenly, there was something else he became aware of. It was light. It was the only way he could describe it. It came from within her and enfolded all four of them. He stared at her face, which was shining, and he realized He was seeing transfiguration, radiance shining through this disheveled little girl, caked in dried, cracking mud in the midst of horror, death, and physical destruction. And she was shining, and all was holy. And then it was gone. It was just dry mud in unholy heat, poverty, and human misery. And he felt himself collapse on the ground and found that he was weeping uncontrollably. And after a while, he pulled himself together and realized he hadn't taken even one picture since before she was given the one small banana. Later, when he would try to tell the story, his own face would be filled with light and his voice would crack with and fill with awe, even fear. And he would end by saying, 
I will never forget her face. And I want to learn to live in such a way that light comes through me. We all have times in our lives when we face our own version of drought and starvation and darkness, and it can take on so many different forms. And we openly wonder, why me? Where is God? For me personally in my own life, I know that the light of the divine has been the most present in the days which have been my darkest. It's never about having either light or darkness. Both are always present, no different than what we heard in today's gospel. In her book, Learning to Walk in the Darkness, American theologian and author Barbara Brown Taylor writes, in the Bible, divine darkness has its own word, Arafel, reserved for God's exclusive use. This thick darkness reveals the divine presence even while obscuring it the same way the brightness of God's glory does. And both are signs of God's mercy. Through the acts of mercy, kindness, and love, that 10-year-old girl sharing her banana brought forth the revelation of Christ and for a brief moment shone bright light into the darkness of starvation and devastation of her friends. This Lent, what opportunities exist for you and I to live in such a way that light comes through us for those who sit in darkness? And equally, how can we better open our eyes so that we can see the daily transfigurations in our lives and therefore be transformed by the mercy and grace of Christ flowing through others onto us?